Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote. On the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You can watch us on the simulcast stadium 32.3 or on 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111 on this frustrating Tuesday morning edition of Footnotes. You know, there's nothing like late game collapses that just rip the guts out of you as a baseball fan. It's just, you know, if, if you get, if you get beat, you know, somebody scores three runs in the fifth and two runs in the sixth and they have the lead or, or you're down early and you play a little comeback and you just don't quite catch up. I mean, no losses are fun. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it happens. You, you, you're falling into one of the 54 losses you got before the season starts and you move on. But when you're up two to nothing with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the eighth and you give up about a six hopper in today's era of exit velocity you give up about a six hopper that's going about 60 miles an hour no probably 50 miles an hour and then everything just falls apart it's it it, it's tougher to swallow and you know the whole I, i i'm more of an old school guy when it comes to pitching. I understand the modern way of doing things. But I don't prefer it, and I certainly don't agree with it in a lot of instances. And so when you um, when a manager pulls the starting pitcher who's pitching well, it's really hard for people to swallow if it doesn't go well. I mean, I could even get aggravated with it, even if it does go well. In other words, if you bring in the starting pitching, I mean the relief pitching, and the relief pitchers do their job, it's still sometimes like, why pull them? Now, if it's a blowout, yeah, but when it's two to nothing, And the guy's cruising, and he's not to 100 pitches yet. I mean, he's thrown a lot, but he hasn't thrown. It's not like he's, like, at 110 or something. You know, let him finish his inning. They got one little cheesy infield single that if Bregman would have made a great play, you'd have had a 1-2-3 inning. And so I, I understand, you know, how people get frustrated with that, but I also understand that this has been arguably the best bullpen in baseball all year long. But my thing is, 
when you're going when you're when you're on a Monday of a tough week, you got four games at the White Sox and you got three at the Braves. Why use a relief pitcher if you don't need to? Like if if the starting pitcher hasn't given up a run and is kind of cruising, why go to your pin when you don't need to? And we'll um you know, we'll we'll get into that more in the next segment with Michael Schwab who um of the Juice Box Journal and we'll be discussing that and other subjects with him having to do with the Houston Astros in the next segment. In the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to begin our, well, not we're not going to begin the weekly discussions, but we're going to have, because I don't know that we'll, we'll do it for a few weeks after this. I just wanted to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit with Cody. But once we get to football season, we will be uh, having weekly discussions uh, with Cody Juno about Cajun football. want to get his early impressions, um, Obviously, we'll talk about the quarterback situation with the Cajuns and and other situations um, with the Cajuns with Cody Juno in the 10 o'clock hour. So looking forward to that. Obviously, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. Anyone who wants to, I know it's Tuesday, but if you have any more thoughts about the Saints, the Saints are going to be doing those um, – little scrimmages against another team, against the Packers, you know, in the middle of this week, and then they're going to play the Packers on Friday. Teams do that all around the league. The Cowboys and the Broncos did it last week where they had a couple scrimmages against each other and they played a game. It's got to be weird. Can you imagine if we did that in the regular season? You scrimmage against a team, and then you play them that weekend. That's just strange. But anyway, uh, it's all you know. Again, it's 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 all part of. Um, you wouldn't do that against someone who you're gonna play that year. But I guess if you're not playing them in the regular season, it uh, it's okay. And speaking of that, the Packers, and I don't know that I you know. The Packers have been cheating for so long and been getting so many favorable calls from the from the from the league. It's hard for me to ever feel sorry for them. But um the Packers were complaining because they had to go play the cheaters and I I didn't understand that either. It's like why are you tr- you know hit their their response or their argument was Preseason, you we fly enough in the regular season. We don't need to be flying for preseason games. Now, not that you're not going to fly, but what, what what he meant was like, you know, coast to coast. Like, I guess the problem with that is, you know, do you really want to play the same, basically the same teams every year in preseason? And you don't want to play some of those teams you're going to play in the regular season. So you don't want to play someone in the regular season that you're going to play. I mean, in the preseason that you're going to play in the regular season. So it's probably not quite as easy, especially once you start talking about the Western teams. Like up in the Northeast, there's all kind of teams. So probably be real easy to to, to stay regional there. Um, but. 
I guess out west where you have fewer teams per, you know, every three or four hours of driving, um, I guess it it, it kind of is can can be a little more difficult to avoid regular season opponents and not have to travel. Again, you know, it's it, it's it's a very 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 small version of what I've been arguing about. If you're in the Central Time Zone, somebody's got to go west, and I, you know, the Astros when I grew up younger the Astros were in the sense you know I wouldn't even care about the cheaters we should we shouldn't have even been in the same you know how they came up with Atlanta and New Orleans being in the NFC West all through you know the late 70s into 80s and into the 90s uh how they came up with that I don't know I mean I guess they just kind of looked at the country they said you're new you know you go over there I I don't it, it didn't it didn't make much sense and I and actually a lot of people don't know this unless you really know a lot about St. History, those first few years in New Orleans, they weren't in the West. They were with, like, the Eagles, and, you know, they were in something called the Century Division. <laughs> you know, they, they were in all kind of divisions those first few years. That really didn't make a whole lot of sense either. But, I, um, but no, for a long, long time, you know, the Astros in Houston were in the, in the National League West with the Padres and the Giants and the Punks and um, – and Cincinnati and Atlanta. It's craziness. Uh, but back then you only had four divisions, so it was tougher. So, look, I get that, you know, the Astros are still in a division with West Coast teams. Got to go to Asia and play Oakland. and Somebody's got to go West. And so, uh, but no, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you know, it seemed like the Saints play teams like the Dolphins and the Texans and teams kind of in the region preseason games fairly often. So I understand their complaint, but, um, you know, it, uh, far be it for me to feel sorry for the Packers on how the NFL is treating them. But, um, no, if you have any comments about Major League Baseball, the Yankees lost again last night, so that made the Astros just – gut punch loss, I guess, a little better. You know, you're still 12 games up on the Mariners and, and you didn't lose any ground uh, in the, you know, if you're still, you know, for those Astro fans that are worried about trying to get the number one seed, some people think that's important. Some people don't. I mean, I, I get it either way. But um, I guess it's a little consolation. But uh, no, that, that, that's a that's a that's a frustrating frustrating way to lose, and we'll we'll delve into that in, in the next segment. Um, we again, when talking about Cajun football, the big news yesterday on the LSU front. Uh, you know, I remember talking last week when we had Koki on. Like it, the the whole Miles Brennan thing never really made sense. So. When the news broke yesterday that he was leaving, it, it wasn't surprising at all. It's like, really? He's really going to sit there and watch again? I mean, like, that would be torture. Like, I don't know why anybody expected him to do that. So I, I still don't understand why he's back with that. I never understood why he was back with the team to begin with. It, it None of it ever made sense. So I was like, really? He's going to sit there and 
if he doesn't get the starting job, which obviously he didn't, uh, you know, I it just it just did none of it ever really seemed to add up, and so not a big surprise at all. Um, again, I, I think LSU's strength very similar to the Cajuns. Their strength on offense is the wide receiving core. So I still think as a coach, you got to select the quarterback that can take best advantage of your wide receivers. And I don't know that that's Daniels, but we'll see how, how that plays out. But no, I, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on and off the air and on and off so- social media about, you know, the word quit and all that. Um, I don't consider this quitting anywhere near the same. um, Because, look, he's not like Casper. The cat's not playing football no more. He's not sitting out for a couple months because he's got his eye on another job or transferring somewhere. He's just not playing anymore. He should have never probably come back to begin with. I think this is just a totally unique situation. And, um, I mean, I guess technically you can argue he quit, but I don't, I I just think it's the connotations of that word are just different in this situation. I just, I just think it's different. Casper quit, in my opinion. He, he, he left, he quit, he gave us Ian Book, and then he skedaddled. And he didn't skedaddle thinking that he was skedaddling for a long time. He skedaddled thinking, well, I'm just going to go sit out a little bit. And again, he can do it. It's a free country. It's not that I hate the guy. It's just, I mean, let's not act like he's in retirement mode. I mean, you know, come on now. I mean, it's just silly. So it's different. I think the two scenarios are very different. But some people have harsher opinions on that. I um, It never made a whole lot of sense to me to begin with. It's kind of like on a very small version, like when – um. Uh, Alonzo came back for the Saints. I'm like, that didn't make any sense. And then he he goes through one or two workouts, and then he and then he retires. It's like, yeah, would well, you come back for to begin with? I, I I just Kiko Alonzo. I just didn't understand that to begin with. So it never made any sense, and it was kind of similar to that with the uh, with Brennan. So we'll 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 you know how the quarterback play is going to be this year. I think it's more difficult than people realize for sure. All right, we'll do this. We'll take a timeout. We come back. We'll be talking Astros baseball with Michael Schwab on a, after this timeout on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Oh. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, if you would like to win four tickets to see Astros Orioles on Saturday, August the 27th, as well as a tour Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations, you need to join the game clubhouse. If you do, you might be able to win the Astro Weekend Getaway 4, powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We have with us Mr. Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal. And I was commenting in the first segment, Michael, as an Astro, I mean, as a baseball fan of any kind, I don't know if there's any worse way to lose and you're leading the whole way and you have a, like a late game collapse. Isn't that the worst way to lose? I hate to get the morning started like this, but I would just say it's like an unexpected kick kick to the nuts. That's yeah. how it feels. <laughs> it's just, just, all right. So let's, I, we, I wasn't, well, obviously we didn't know that was going to happen last night, but he, he, here's um, the number one concern about that. That's two really bad outings in a row for Montero, who up until this weekend, I would say, has been the Astros' best and most consistent relief pitcher throughout the course of the season. So I would say my first reaction, well, that's just a blip on the radar. It's just baseball. It happens. The only uh, the only thing that – only caveat I would do with that was when he kind of melted down with the with the Mariners, which forced him to essentially be DFA before he came in the Graveman trade, it kind of happened in a hurry. So are you at all worried about him at all or no? You know, it's it's interesting because – he has been one of the best relievers on the team. But if you look at July 1st till now, his ERA is 424. So it's the past two months, you know, past month and a half has been rough for Montero. I'm not sure what's going on with him exactly. Um, if I look at the top ones from July 1st, it's Presley, Stanek, Neris, and even Abreu. And then from there, it drops down to Maton, Martinez, and Montero, who all have ERAs in the fours. So something's going on with him where maybe he's not being used properly. Um, I I, I want to see how he does in the rest of August because he has been a great pitcher for the team, but it, it's 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 concerning for me. And I don't think he was the right one to go to last night. Well, you know, I thought it was curious that they ended up using weight, what, what, what a 6-1 lead, 6 nothing lead on Sunday. They ended up using a bunch of their prime relief pitchers, which which could have something to do with, with, with yesterday. You know, the 0-2 pitch he doubly gave up to Vaughn was just off the plate, maybe a little too up. Uh, the, the two-run double that he gave to Jimenez was like, you know, a foot inside it seemed like, but it was an 0-2 pitch and uh, maybe – just a little too up. So it's not like he's throwing the ball right over the middle, but it's just not happening for him right now. I agree. And, and last night, I mean, what happened? He had an intentional walk. And then the next batter, he walked. And so, you know, he loaded, he put people on the bases. He was kind of all over the place last night. Um, it, 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 you know, pitching is such a funny thing, especially for relievers. You know, the big, the biggest difference between coming in a game for the start of an inning compared to coming into, you know, someone else's pitching, it's always tough, especially from a mental aspect. So I'm not sure 
what happened exactly for him if this is just kind of his own version of the yep, I hate to say it, or if it just was kind of a freak thing. Usually Montero is someone you can trust. The past few games, it's been hard to see that. But for me, it's his location. You know, I, I, I feel like he could be much better. 17 pitches, nine were strikes. That's not like him. So uh, this was just a really rough game. And also, let's just say this, you know, two two runs ain't going to do it. Right, yeah, two, 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 yeah, they, you know, you know, Cueto pitched obviously very well after the first inning, and really they didn't, in my mind, they didn't score any runs because they were given two runs because if they turned the double play, they don't score any runs in that inning. And the double play should have been turned on on, on Yuli's hit before the, um, the sack fly and the RBI double by Bregman. But, all right, so right now, Dusty is not on the good side of a lot of Astro fans. One, they were very upset that he wasn't playing Mancini very often after they traded for him. And now he pulls Arkady and they give up four runs with two outs um, and a runner on first last night. So what do you? What did you make of the whole Dusty versus kind of the fan sentiment with, with the Mancini's playing time? Yeah, you know, before anything, I, I think let's preface by saying it's August. Got the best record in the AL. You know, the team's doing great. They're winning games. Now, the caveat is that you don't want to lose games because of a managerial decision. And last night was one of those games. Urquini was on fire. He got pulled. And then the next, you know, Montero brings up the, the run. Well, with Mancini, that's been an interesting thing because I think, you know, I, I understand Dusty's perspective. He's brought this up. He's trying to get all the players, you know, it's August. He's trying to get everyone in the game. That's why the Lions have been a little, a little wild. You know, it's not the playoffs where you're going to have your set people playing. But I think what's been bothering fans, and me particularly, is that you trade for this guy who is a much higher OPS. Uh, everything about him is who you wanted to get that bat, and you don't start him as much. So now he's started three games in a row, and that's great. But <laughs> I think it started scratching, you know, fans started scratching their head, being like, why did you bring this guy if he's not going to play? So, you know, like I said, it's August, especially the middle of August. It's okay. Even September is going to look even more wild if they're going to want to try to rest as much as they can. But it's something that fans want to monitor because they want to see Mancini play. I also think that, yes, I mean, I think part of it's for fans is they you have a new toy, you, you want to watch the new toy. I think that's part of it. But I also think that fans and media members in general are going to think offense first and not defense first. And, you know, uh, one of Dusty's comments, and I was saying that to, um, you know, friends in an Astro chat group who are all upset as well. I'm like, it, when, when you have Valdez and now McCullers, ground ball pitchers pitching, Yuli's going to play first base because he scoops better. He just does. And when you have fly ball pitchers like Urquidy, um, then you're gonna he's probably gonna have other guys in the outfield more. He's gonna think defense first because pitching a defense is the reason why they've got the best record in the American League. It's not even close to the offense is the reason. And, and you're exactly right. And and I will I will come to Dusty's defense for that because it does make sense. I mean, last night here's what's so hard because when you look at Yuli's stats and all the fan graphs, baseball reference, everything like that. 
some of those defensive metrics don't line up. And, of course, the hitting metrics don't line up. And fans want to get frustrated about that. But there's just something about the scoop percentage. How many balls is he scooping from crazy throws? How many, you know, how many throws are pretty much Yuli saving? Well, last night on the game, they showed that he has the highest scoop percentage, 93% of any first baseman in the majors, not just the AL in the majors. So, you know, from a defensive standpoint, I think Mancini can absolutely do the work, but Dusty trusts Yuli. And there's also a huge locker room aspect that matters too. Yuli is one of the leaders on this team. He's the trusted big brother on the team. They all love him. They should. He's a leader. He's there for the 2017 World Series. He's been in most of the world. He's been in all the World Series games in the past few years. So it's not wrong to keep Yuli in from the defensive standpoint. And I also agree from the left field standpoint as well. So right now they're trying to keep their pitchers safe and they're trying to get defensive out. And that's probably the best thing that you need to do right now in August is to get great pitching, great defense, and just hope that your lineup picks it up more. That's what I think. McCullers' performance on Saturday, he just looked like Lance McCullers again. He just has an edge and an energy to him and, um, you know, he, he's just, he's just one of the guys on the team that's fun to pull for. Um, the, if he, obviously he's not going to pitch like that every night, but if, if he can become McCullers again, I mean, you're looking at a pretty good one, two, three going into the postseason. Yes, no question. And I, I think all of us had hoped for seeing that game that we'd see vintage McCullers. Now, when I talked to Lance McCullers, after his last rehab start, what he told me was he was ready. He was ready to go. And then when you looked at his his ERA, it was high. It was ballooned. It was in the sixes. You know, he was saying that all he cared about was getting his pitches and his innings, and he felt good about that. Well, that translated so perfectly to his start versus Oakland. Now, <laughs> it's against pretty much a triple-A team. So now his big test is going to be against the Braves, most likely on Friday. Uh, what I was really happy to see about Lance is that he was getting his pitches. He was going deep. He went six innings. He only allowed two hits. Now, he did have four walks, and that's going to happen with Lance because of the type of pitcher he is. Because he has so many breaking balls that go out of the zone, there are going to be people who watch it. So I'm I'm excited to see how he does when the adrenaline kicks in and that we see vintage Lance. Um, he's going to be a starter. He's not going to be bullpen. And he needs to just keep it going and go off that adrenaline. Um, I think Friday will be very exciting, but it is a bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, all right, so I think one of the biggest things, and we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, I think one of the biggest things that's going to happen between now and the postseason is is for the staff to determine what is the pecking order in the bullpen for when they get to the postseason. Um Mayton did much better last year than I expected, and he had he came up big in the postseason last year. To me, he's been way he's been all over the place this year. Do you trust him? And how do you feel like what do you what is your best guess of what his role is going to be, if any, come the postseason? Well, I mean, the biggest hope is that we see Mayton from the postseason last year. And this happens sometimes. A great example would be Will Smith, who's the new left-handed reliever for the Astros. I mean, he has an area of four through the season, and when he comes to the postseason, he's not allowing any runs practically. Um, I, I think what it seems is that they do trust Maton. 
I think they trust a lot of these guys. But you are going to see Presley Stanek Naris doing a lot of the work in the postseason. Montero, it's going to get you know chances as well. Mason, Mason, excuse me, to me, has great stats for left-handed hitters, which is a very important thing for considering that he's the right-handed pitcher. If he can come in and get righties and lefties, they're going to see a lot of lefties during the postseason as well. So he's going to get his opportunities, but I think you're mostly going to see him as the first pitcher out, probably in the sixth or seventh. So he can come in with high spin rate when you have your starting pitcher, you know, going long innings and, and they already see what it is. So, you know, maybe the third time through, maybe Tom will come in and, and get his high spin rate pitches, some breaking balls to, to kind of get these people off the edge. But this is what's so hard from an August game compared to an October game are not the same. And, and I think Mayton has that ability that when he's playing in a high-leverage game that he can step it up. That's what it seems with the whole bullpen and starting pitching will be. But, you know, last season is very different than this one, last postseason as well. The biggest thing and the biggest hope is that you have Verlander and McCullers, which you didn't have both of them at all in the playoffs last uh, year. So uh, I think already yeah, right. that's a step up. Absolutely. All right, one more guy, Christian Vasquez. I was excited to get him for what we've seen out of him the last two days. He's just one of those hitters because I've you know been on the other side when he was in Boston where you can make a good pitch and he'll just punch or dump a single to right or just find a hole. And he got three hits Sunday. He came in in the ninth last night and, and uh, tough closer in Hendricks and single to right. He just is a guy that you could just hope that if you get, you know, when you get in the postseason, if he's starting that day or if he's pinch hitting, that can get you that big clutch two-out single because he's not trying to hit a home run like a lot of guys are. He can just punch that single into the open hole. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I still think this is one of the most important trades they made this year because, you know, our boy Candy, he's going to stay on his toes and he's going to get the starts. But Vasquez just has that element to it. He's a great defender. Very great. I mean, he had an amazing throw out when he threw on, uh, when he played on uh, the Sunday, the 14th. But he's hitting 286 in August since he's joined the team. And I think, you know, you're seeing clutch hits that he's doing, and he's going to continue to do it. He's got playoff pedigree with the, with the Red Sox, like you're saying. So what you're getting is a catcher who will start a game if he needs to, or if they start Maldi. And for most of the games, and you bring Vasquez in the sixth or seventh, I mean, you're you're picking up a big hitter later in the game. Um, I, I think you also keep Maldi fresh. You keep knees fresh. You keep defense fresh. You keep Maldi on his toes, so he needs to keep hitting. And Maldi's been hitting great as well. Absolutely, because of that. So you know, I think Vasquez is one of the great success stories that not many people are talking about because I don't think they understand the whole catching dynamic. But it is very, very good. And, and just one quick note, if I could say anything about what they did during the trade deadline and everything is that the depth on this team is so important. If you look at players like Mauricio Dubon, Alemis Diaz, Christian Vasquez, that right there is a great bench to fill in when people are doing. Mauricio Dubon is not, you know, his average is not the best, but He's an incredible defender. He can play all over the place. And Alemis Diaz, we talked about him earlier this year. 
he's doing great work. So I, I think they're setting themselves for, for a good playoff run. Even though it's August, I think things are going to be good. All right, one more question, and this one's a big one. So if you want to say, uh, we'll wait until – let's wait three or four weeks before we answer that question, Kevin. You feel feel perfectly free to do that. <laughs> Is Dusty Baker going to be the manager of this team next year? Um, you know, I, I don't – this is my personal opinion. I don't think so. A, a couple different reasons. I, I think if if they don't win the World Series, then no. If they do win the World Series, then he probably gets his opportunity to ride off in the sunset with a World Series ring. This, to me, seems like his last two raw. And, and, and my hope and what it seems like is Joe Espada, who's the bench coach, who's getting looked at in many different places, and the Rangers now just firing their manager. He'll be looked at there, too. Uh, it would be in the best interest of the team to, to look at Joe Espada as the next manager because – it matters so much to have a manager who knows the players well. You saw it with A.J. Hinch, how well he was with the team. Dusty's well-respected and loved, and he cares about the guys. Uh, I guess it's up to him what he wants to do, but I think this is his last year. And that's nothing against him. It's just kind of for new blood. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully he can win it all and, and ride off into the sunset and go into the Hall of Fame with a World Series championship to his credit that would be the best case scenario for all i appreciate your time as always sir thank you very much thank you kevin i'll talk to you next week all right take care hopefully so hopefully we're smiling still a rough week ahead thank you (laughs) all right michael schwab of the juice box journal i think a lot of people think the same thing that there's this undercurrent that there's been this little uh, little bit of friction, not like major, but a little friction between him and the GM and the fans seem to get aggravated. Of course, you know, in the sport of baseball, you make so many decisions over 162 games, you're never going to be. Look, folks, I know he pulled Arkeely last night, and I'm not, I wouldn't have done it, but managers all over baseball pull pitchers in the eighth inning all the time. I mean, this is not a off-the-wall thing that he did. And, you know, if it worked, no one would have said anything. But that doesn't mean that it was the right thing to do either. And I think he sticks with starting pitchers more than a lot of managers do. So just kind of the era that we live in. All right, we will take a timeout, come back, talk more to you on the on footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros are sure you remember this great prize a year ago, and here we go again, the ultimate tailgate getaway, or giveaway, I should say. Powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Listen to this. 
ice chests, I should say, full of great prizes. $500 to chop specialty meats. A new grill with accessories, a cooler, chairs, $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU games, tickets to Cajun games, and much more. Enter at the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Again, it's the ultimate tailgate giveaway. Powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game just to get you ready for football season. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. Look, I remember last year in the postseason where the Rays manager, Kevin Cash, pulled a pitcher who was pitching fabulous. Or was that two years ago in the World That's what it was. It was in the World Series two years ago. People all over the country went nuts. Would I have done it? No, I wouldn't have pulled him. It was Blake Snell. I wouldn't have pulled him. But it was something that he had done all year long, and they were in the World Series, so it obviously worked quite a few times. You know, the Rays did this. um, They started this opener stuff, and they used the opener last night, and it worked. They, they didn't give up any runs against the Yankees. So it's not that I agree, because, again, if Dusty would have called me, which, you know, he doesn't even know who I am, but if Dusty would have called me and said, all right, fat cat, what, do, what, 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 what should I do here? I'd have said, leave him in. Because he just, he you know, we talk about, if you're watching the game, Urquidy was not struggling. He wasn't. He he wasn't laboring. We talk about, you know, pressure pitches or just you can throw 90 pitches just to throw out a number. And if they're pressure packed pitches, then it's like it means more. It wears on you more than just throwing 90 pitches and you're just like cruising like McCullough, you know, was doing on Saturday or, or like Arkady last night. I, I don't think he didn't make that many pressure packed pitches. And so I just, I really think what happened, and, and and look, Michael's right. A lot of Astro fans are really mad at him. But this is what I really think happened. I think that going into the inning, he said, look, you're, you're out there. It's the eighth inning. Understand this. Not that very few pitchers pitch more, pitch eight innings, starting pitchers. Very few. Go back. If you don't think this happens all the time, look up the statistics of what percentage of starting pitchers go eight innings in their starts this year. I don't know what that percentage is, but I bet you it's it's a single digit. Like, it hardly ever happens. Hardly ever. So, did you know, the somewhere between the vast majority of managers and every manager would have done what he did. Again, that doesn't mean I agree with it because I would have left him in. But this idea that Taking a guy out with two outs in the eighth inning is this far-fetched, crazy notion. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's off base. Not based off of what, what's going on today. And I think he leaves starting pitchers in more than a lot of managers, current managers in Major League Baseball. But what I think happened, my guess, is he told them, and this happens quite a bit, all right, as long as you don't give up a base runner, you're in. If you give up a base runner, we're pulling you. 
And so, because if you look at Urquidy, he didn't even flinch. Now, Urquidy's not an emotional guy, so maybe that plays into it some, but he didn't even flinch. But I think with Dusty, and that's okay, but what I think Dusty should have done, in my opinion, was it wasn't like exactly a line drive off the wall or even a line drive that two hopped to center fielder. It was about a six hopper that, you know, it, the only reason the play wasn't made is because it was hit so weakly. So I think he, he maybe should have factored that in. And the fact that, you know, if that was the leadoff hit, that's one thing. But there were two outs and nobody on when they got this weak single. I just, I don't think Urquidy would have imploded like, like for whatever reason Montero did. But again, I, I, I think, I think I wouldn't have done what Dusty did, but I think he's getting way too much criticism for what he did. And and I think everyone's mad at Dusty because he's not playing Mancini as if Mancini's Babe Ruth. I, look, I like Mancini, but people are getting way too carried away with that stuff, in my opinion. But that's just me. All right. All I know this is scary. This is how bad weeks, losing streaks start when you lose games like they did last night. That's a, And especially since right now you're going to be facing – the hottest pitcher in baseball in Dylan Cease in a team that needs to win at home way more than the Astros need to win because they're still like right on the outside looking into the postseason and trying to win their division. So, uh, And they've had a whole season of frustration built up. So this is not a good team to be playing right now, especially when you fire them up with winning a game like they did last night. So kind of scary. Then you got to play the Braves in Atlanta over the weekend. Ugh. Could be a disaster week. I'm hoping if the Astros can get win three of the next six, I'll be ecstatic. Even two and four, I wouldn't be totally crushed, although I'd be very unhappy. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back, finish out the first hour next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you about the Black Pot Cookoff. Arnaville Volunteer Fire Department hosting Black Pot Cookoff on Saturday, September the 10th. It will really be football season come Saturday, September the 10th. The cooking begins at 8 a.m. The eating will start at noon at the Flower Auditorium in Arnaville. There will be plenty of live music, including Gerald Grunig and Jen Tilly Zydeco, Dustin Saunier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit ArnavilleFire.org. ArnavilleFire.org. All right, we just have a few minutes before we get to the second hour. Again, we'll be speaking with Cody Juno and discussing Cajun football, lots of different things as we continue to preview that season and talk about the quarterback battle and much, much more with Cody. So it'll be a lot of Cajun football talk in the second hour. But again, tonight, a premier pitching matchup in Chicago. Justin Verlander versus Dylan Cease. If I had a vote right now for the Cy Young, I would I would give it to Dylan Cease. And uh, Dylan Cease didn't even get named to the All Star team, and so you know he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think he's have he's had the best, most dominant season in Major League Baseball of any pitcher this year. 
and he um, has kind of he probably feels like he's been spurned just a little bit, and he's pitching against one the Astros who eliminated him in the playoffs last year, and two Verlander who everybody keeps saying is going to win the Cy Young. Um, so it you know he's going to be extra fired up now. Sometimes you know. Maybe he'll be too amped up and walk a few more batters than he does sometimes. I mean, I guess that can work against him a little bit. But man, I, I, I am you know very concerned about last about tonight's game. I mean, especially after last night because they really got some momentum. Um, and so they're an emotional team. They got got a lot of young players. They got a lot of emotional players. And I, it's 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 scary. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Tonight is a scary, scary, scary game, and the Astros have risen to the occasion before many times. So hopefully they can do it one more time tonight. Uh, make my heart allow me to sleep a little better. That's for sure. Hopefully they can uh, do that. That'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports. Sta- Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 if you would like to get in. Um, that Now's the time to do it. If you want to d- discuss managers and pulling pitchers like you're mad at Dusty Baker or just in general, certainly feel free to do that. If you have any other lingering thoughts from the Saints' first preseason game leading into the second. The thing that I'm anxious to see is, are they going to play more starters in this game or are they going to wait till the third game to do so? I um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I if you ask me to vote, I would probably vote on two preseason games. But... The thing that made the four preseason games easier to kind of interpret, even though I'm not a huge fan of preseason games, the thing that made the four preseason games, um, again, easier to interpret is you kind of knew the role of each game. Now I'm, I'm not, I'm a little, I don't really know that I know the role in each game. It's, it's, it's kind of like, and I think every coach is probably a little bit different um, in how they're going to handle it. You know, some starting quarterbacks didn't play at all. And some um, played, you know, a quarter or a half. And it, it, it's it's a little on it's a little on the tricky side, um, to you know to what to do. Obviously, you don't want your quarterback to get hurt. Obviously, it's um, 
he is um it's it, you know that that'll ruin your season really quick depending on who your quarterback is and who your backup is obviously i guess there are a few exceptions to that where um you know he could if like i always say if your starting quarterback isn't great the only good thing about that is if he gets hurt it's not a huge drop between him and 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 the and the backup quarterback um but no, I don't know what the Saints are going to do. Uh, on one hand, you, I guess you could see an argument that Jameis needs to play a little bit because he hasn't played. Uh, I guess you could see the argument that Michael Thomas, Plastic Man, has played so little in the last two years, he kind of needs to get on the field and get some game action with Jameis because they really haven't played together very often. I mean, you could hear that art. You could certainly see that argument and hear it. But, man, if one of them gets hurt, it's going to be a very, very, very turbulent day on the show and week and month and season. So I don't really want to see them. But uh, that that's going to be the interesting thing of this second preseason game. Like, how much are are, are they going to play? And the other thing is, like we talked about, they're playing these scrimmages. So, if they play in the scrimmage but not in the game, you know, I have no idea. Do you really have a better chance of getting hurt in a game than you do a scrimmage? I guess so. But really, is how much better? Like, how much better of a chance? How much safer is a scrimmage than a game? in terms of just whether you can get hurt or not. I don't know. I guess it's a little more controlled, so you could argue that it is safer. Tough tough choices there, because you got to have some level of execution. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Footsie. Howdy, sir. How you doing today, Footsie? Oh, that was a rough loss. You know, those are gut punches. Yeah, that, that 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 was not a good loss. I mean, that that was not a good loss. But Futsi, yeah, well, let, let's start with baseball, okay? Speaking okay. speaking of not good, you know. So I, so since last Thursday, I've been watching the American Legion World Series, and you know we've kind of abandoned American Legion baseball in the city of Lafayette because we're gonna play together in the summer, and we're gonna charge the players to play on the team. And then we are just going to play like the same little teams around Lafayette and we're supposed to be better in the spring. Well, I don't mean to be ugly to any of the high 5A. I'm just 5A public schools now. I'm just talking about 5A public schools because I'm not checking everybody else. But uh, just, you know, the 5A public school baseball coaches, I really haven't seen a lot of returns on, on this plan. I mean, I, mean, I, I haven't seen y'all go too far you know, in the playoffs. So I, I just wanted to point that out, but you know, like Ascension Parish, they play American Legion baseball. They got to the finals of the Mid-South Regional. The team that they that beat them, Troy, Alabama, they playing tonight on ESPNU against uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho, for the American Legion Championship. Like I said, it, it just kind of, you know, this plan that we got where we're just going to play all summer together and then we're going to be better in the spring, just doesn't seem like it has worked for me or to me. Now, Footsie, let, let's talk about Miles Brennan, okay? Because, I mean, you know, 
at one point I would have had a little problem with him leaving like this. But let's go over it. The man graduated from college. He has a college degree. He also has the SEC championship ring, and he has a national championship ring from probably the best team to ever play a season. So I, I think if you call a man a quitter, I, I, I think you're misguided at this point. I, I really do. I, I think he's done everything that he was supposed to do at LSU. It just didn't work out. Sometimes you got to move on. Sometimes moving on is the best thing to do. You know what I'm saying? No, I, again, I think, as I said, I think it's a unique situation. Com- different. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, a unique situation. So I, I like Casper did, though. Oh, no. Casper. Casper quit, but he knows he's gone somewhere else. Yeah. So he actually quit. Yes. This 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 young man is just moving on with his life. Hey, yes. He's going to get a job. He's going to do something. Maybe he's going to be like him, and maybe he's going to have, you know, eat some yogurt and, and a Lunchable and be in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to tell you one thing. If I Had I ate a, a yogurt and a Lunchable, I'd probably be in a good mood. But, you know, <laughs> the fact that I need to drop 20 LBs, I'm trying to tough it out to lunch. I'm telling you, this little plan ain't working too good. But, <laughs> put you, put you, you talk about put you – I didn't have that same pep in my step that Hannah had. Hannah had all kind of pep in her step when I was talking to her. I don't have it. You know, I'm just trying to tough it out the lunchtime, not even in between meals. This is You want to talk about not a good plan. I might need to quit this plan, start eating a little bit more. Well, can you please just help the Astros win two of the next three so I can get two out of four and I'll be content because uh, it might it might get a little uh, – I might get a little That's disgruntled. Tonight's a big night, like you said. You, I mean, you didn't you didn't overspeak. I mean, tonight's a big night. And the thing about it is, every time the Astros lose, the Yankees lose. Man, they they could be putting putting distance between them and the and the Yankees. Absolutely, I mean, the Yankees are in a in a rough spot right now. So they'll get out of it. It's just how long will it take, and how good will it will the getting out of it happen? So I yeah, fool. There there there's no question they're struggling. Yeah, they struggle in the Astros. Hey, you got to take advantage of when the other team struggles. I mean, you know, but the Astros, they, they just inconsistent, man. They just, I don't know. I don't know. They can't well, hit. Right, but... the, maybe get you a little, a little thing of yogurt and a Lunchable, and you you be in a good mood. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Phil. All right. All right. Bye-bye. I'm trying to think. Have I ever had, I've had yogurt. And I've eaten a Lunchable, not many, to be honest. But I have eaten one, a few before. But I doubt in my life I've ever eaten that combination in the same sitting. I don't think that's ever really? happened. Well, I don't eat either one hardly ever. So I don't either, but then I decided that I was tired of getting like Subway and a whole bunch of other like. No, I have know, no problem with, with those items. I just so. I don't eat them often, and I don't think I've ever eaten them together in the same yeah. sitting. But see, I don't. But see, the thing is, I have like a limited set of lunchables that I eat. Like, I don't eat the pizza one. That's just nasty. I don't eat the chicken nuggets one. I only eat like the the turkey, or I eat chips and salsa or the little hot dogs, because I don't like ham. I don't like sandwich ham. Well, you you need to slimy and gross to me. Well, I don't have any. I'm not that picky. That's how you get a belly like this. But 
but you know, after you score four in the ninth against the little MVPs, you should have oh, a yeah. certain you should have a certain lunch that you eat every time you score four in the ninth against the little MVPs. It was a hot mess for the M- little MVPs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you start Otani off with uh, Winker hitting a home run, <laughs> and like the things like the bottom of the first. Or this is the right. first inning, I think. He hit a home run, and then you go, all right. <laughs> and, and, he rebounded, no, and again, I've been giving the little MVPs credit because they actually have been playing pretty well. Yeah. But um, but, six but, but uh, last night it didn't go so well for him, so we'll see how not. this this series goes um, for the Mariners. And, you know, the, the Rays have kind of started to win a few games here. They've been really struggling. The Blue Jays are struggling mighty, like, you know, I know they fired their manager, and but they have been really, really struggling. All right, so apparently we had some people a little surprised about my comment about Dylan Cease. J- j- just so you know, um, so far this year, Dylan Cease has thrown 128 innings, 128 and two-third innings, and given up 92 hits. Uh, Verlander's thrown 136 inning, giving up 93 hits. So pretty similar. Now here's the only difference that Dylan Cease has a 196 ERA. Justin Verlander has a 185 ERA. So very, very similar. Uh, the one difference is C strikes out more batters, but walks more batters. You know, he, uh, Verlander's only walked 24 batters, struck out 134. Um, Cease has walked 55 batters, which is not as good, but he struck out once. He's 174. He has 40 more strikeouts than Verlander. He has 40. He has 128 innings and two-third innings pitch and 174 strikeouts, and he's got some sort of streak. Well, he hasn't given up more than one run in like a long in a long time. Like, most of the runs that he gave up were early this season. So over the last two months, it's not even close. He's the best, been the best pitcher in baseball. He's been completely dominant. Most of the – a lot of the damage that, that he, get, you know, he, he, he did get is, uh, was earlier. So in the season, he's been as hot as any pitcher in ba- – or hotter than any pitcher in baseball. I just hope the Astros can take advantage of a few walks, especially if he's extra pumped up. Because uh, they they're gonna they, and, and, and can score more than two runs, if they score more than two runs, and you kind of like their chances, but if not, oh man, it could be could be rough. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? How you doing, sir? What's going on? Man, oh, uh, not much. Been a while since I talked to you. Yes, sir. Look, before we get before we get to football, man, I'm telling you that every time that I'm the guy come in to, like, save the inning or something. He always blew it. Why Dusty Baker didn't – why Arkady couldn't pitch the eight in it? Well, again, I wish he would have. I would have kept him in, but um... – I mean, he blew He he blew it, man. The guy – I said it. I said when they took Arkady out and they put that guy in, no, no. I, I knew I, – I said we lost. That's it. The game is over. Well, it certainly worked out that way. I was, you know – Montero, I think, has pitched very well this year, but it is amazing how many times you take look, if a starting pitcher is starting to labor and walk, then yeah, but when he's pitching great and the other team gets one lucky hit, I would not pull him. So I agree with you. Yeah. 
Well, Dusty Baker, he messed up last night. He should have left him in. I mean, you know it's sad, as great as he pitched, yeah, he didn't get the win. That, right. You know, that, that's, what, that's what burned me up. Yep. But uh, getting to the Saints, uh, what you think about this year, Kevin? You like our chances? Oh, as long, if they're healthy and they get a few breaks, I love our chances. But, uh, again, you got to – They've got to get some breaks, um, and as long as they're healthy, I, I I think you know it's a Super Bowl caliber lineup if the, if it's healthy. But I mean, again, I mean, they, last year was the unhealthiest season ever, and you know they they got to get some breaks. Well, well, hopefully, uh, you know we we know about our defense. You know, sometimes they take a a little process before they really kick in. But hopefully, that's what I'm worried. They don't about. do that this yes, year with all absolutely. the players, all the depth they have. Hopefully, they don't You're do right. that. But there's only two things I'm worrying about and I'm concerned about for the Saints. Just two things. Not worrying about the wide receiver, not worrying about the running back. I'm worrying about the offensive lineman and the quarterback. That's what I'm worrying about. Well, as long as the quarterback's healthy, I'm not worried about him. Now, the offensive line, it, it, you, I, I get that. Um, I am worried about Jameis not being, you know, is he as he become injury prone, I sure hope that's not the case. Because uh, if he is, that could be a real problem. I, I'm not as high at Andy Dalton as a lot of people are. Um, as far as the offensive line, yes. I mean, it is, you know, obviously Rui, Pete has to improve. He's still got improvement. Uh, Ruiz obviously still has improvement to make. And, you know, Ramchek's got to stay healthy. He wasn't very healthy last year. He was part of the whole non-healthy issue. Uh, so, and, so, so what I heard looked like, I think I heard, right? So Ramchek's still going to play right there. So who's going to be the left tackle, Hurst? Hurst, yes. I thought, well, I thought they, I thought they was going to put uh, Ramchek at left tackle. Uh, well, so there was some talk tackle. about that, but no, that does not look like that's going to be the case, no. Uh, what about the, uh, the rookie? Well, again, I never thought he was going to start right away. Some people want him to start right away. And now, if he clearly outperforms Hurst, then go for it. But so far, I don't think he's clearly outperformed Hurst. So I'd rather them start with the veteran and and just have the the rookie continue to learn and and, and, and iron things out. I I I don't want I don't want to lose a game because a rookie gets freaked out. In 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 an, I'd rather start the veteran. Me. Right. Well, look, Kevin, I'll be calling you. It's good hearing from you again. Have a good one. Oh, you too, sir. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Talk Cajun football with Cody Juno. Lots to discuss. Lots of opinions to get. We'll see how Cody's thinking about this as we preview the Cajun football season next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Want to remind you about 
the Games Clubhouse. If you have not joined, you need to do so today. It's free, and it's simple to do. And if you do, you could win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lesser Steakhouse, $50 gift certificate to Katie Bar and Grill, or perhaps a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The Game Clubhouse. Join today by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We have with us our old friend, Mr. Cody Juno, um, the biggest fan that you'll ever see of the Seattle Mariners. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm great. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a marvelous Tuesday, and uh, I did not watch the implosion last night. I, I fell asleep, so I didn't have to live that uh, live. I unfortunately did see it live and I was just kind of, you know, not happy. Let's just put it that way. But anyway, we don't want to talk too much about the Astros after normally that's a good subject. But last night, it's not good. want to talk about this Cajun football season as we go into it. And there's so much. You know, I don't. There's not nearly as many question marks, in my opinion, as like trying to figure LSU out. A lot of the uh, positions are manned by the same people. A lot of the coaches are the same, so it's not like this huge transformation. So, do you have a good uh, a good feel about what to expect, or because there's a new head coach and a new quarterback and some new inside linebackers, that there's still some question marks for you? Well, I think there are question marks. Anytime you undergo a coaching change, right? And no matter how big or small, right? There were there were question marks a year ago about the offensive line, and given the new offensive line coach Jeff Nord, right, who would come in and replace uh, Rob Sale. And so I think anytime you have a, a change, and especially a change as, as monumental as as the head coach, and while yes, you know, uh, Des has been uh, part of Billy's staff for the past four years, you know, spent uh, a fifth year with with Mark Hudspeth. You know, Billy recommended, uh, you know, Des for the job. You get all those things. It's still different, right? There's still a new person in charge, and that person's going to put their twists and turns uh, and make their adjustments on on operations uh, as they see fit. And so I think for that very reason, there are questions. And then, you know, you get into the actual uh, student-athletes and and, and the positions and, and a new quarterback. Uh, you know, for me, the big question heading into to the fall is, is how's that offensive line going to perform? Who's going to be a part of that, right? Uh, outside of that, I, I think the rest of the, the pieces are, are certainly there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, three weeks from the season, I think there are, are real questions that, that still need to be answered. And we're not going to get those answers, I think, until two, three weeks into the season. All right. So I think there are people that feel like, you're doing a little bit of a disservice to the execution level of the offense by not deciding on a quarterback yet. Uh, at what point do you think it's really important to have that starting quarterback in terms for the offense to be ready for the open? So I think this is probably that make-or-break week, right? Who, if, if they're neck-and-neck, and, neck, and I think when you go through this week of practice and into that, you know, that second scrimmage that's going to happen, um, I, I believe on on Saturday, right? That's kind of the the second preseason game where you know the where where you get all the starters. <clears throat> and you, that's kind of when you got the most bullets flying around. That third preseason game or, or scrimmage, right? You have an idea of who's going to be in place, and and now we're kind of starting the game plan and kind of go through. The um, motions is not the right word, but you're you're starting to kind of get into that in season mode, right? And so for me, I, I think. 
that this is probably the week where, where, where we could see somebody separate themselves. Now, whether they tell us that or not, you know, I, I, I don't expect. But for me, as I look at just the, the schedule of the way things break down in the, in the training camp portion, for me, this is the week where I think the coaching staff is going to come away with an idea of who's going to go out there first uh, on September the 3rd. <clears throat> the thing that I liked – uh, talking to Coach Dez at yesterday's presser after he watched the film of Saturday's first scrimmage is that he made a, a bit an extra effort to emphasize the fact that no matter who the quarterback was, not just Chandler or Ben who were fighting for the number one spot, no matter who the quarterback was, even though they threw a lot of the playbook at him in this first scrimmage intentionally to see how they would handle it, there were no mess-ups. I even spoke to someone who was at the scrimmage, and they verified that. It was like, you know, no one looked lost. There were no, like, you know, no one looked like Ian Book, in other words, out there, just completely lost at the quarterback position, which when you kind of have a new emphasis on offense and you have some new personnel, it's pretty nice to hear. No, I think it's critical, right? It's the fact that you've got – uh, to your point, whether it's going to be Chandler or Ben and then whoever's going to back them up right in, in that third spot, they all seemingly have command of the offense. They all know what's going on. And so what that means is if you ever get into those situations where for whatever reason, uh, you know, hopefully this is something the Cajuns don't have to deal with, but, but Chandler and Ben are, uh, are not available, you don't necessarily lose a quarter or a third of your playbook, right, or half of your playbook. You don't become – more one-dimensional if all of these guys have a grasp of the entire offense. And to your point, right, right, Des talked about it yesterday, they have done a lot of install going back to the spring, into the summertime, and now here into the early part of fall camp of throwing really the kitchen sink, right, putting everything in. And then as they get into game week, they'll start toning that down based on, on the matchups and whatever the, uh, the opponent is presenting that, that specific week. Uh, but for not just those top two quarterbacks, but for everybody to have command, I think that uh, speaks volumes of, of the of the quarterbacks themselves, right? The work they're putting in, the coaching staff, the way that they're handling, uh, you know, the, the prep and the install, and it, it gives, I guess, a little sense of um, confidence. Again, it's not the right word, but you're not necessarily going to be incredibly fearful if something were to happen and now all of a sudden, look, the reality is you're on quarterback three, right, if it ever gets to that point in time, and, and, and that's not good no matter how you spin it, but you're not limiting the playbook, which I think uh, is something to look forward to. All right, so here's how I see it. You tell me if you disagree. You could go – you you have a situation where you have some – a lot of newcomers on the offensive line. You don't have quite as much experience as you originally planned at running back, even though obviously your starter's been around here for a while and is highly respected and is arguably the leader of the whole team. Um, and you have this really good wide receiving core that – and Michael Jefferson turned out to probably be even a little better than you thought he'd be, and you really like your depth at wide receiver. It's the best unit you have. So – do I go with a quarterback who has pretty good arm talent, like a Chandler Fields, a little bit of a gunslinger in him, loves to throw the ball down the field, very, very aggressive? Or do I go with more of a textbook quarterback 
who in and and Ben Woolridge who maybe could do a little bit more of the RPO stuff could still throw the deep ball, but kind of he's you know he's kind of going to do everything that you're supposed to do within the system. So how, how do you kind of see it? Is that how you see it? The decision that they have to make, and it sounds like a really tough decision. Well, I do think it's a, it's going to be an incredibly tough decision, which I think. It should help Cajun fans rest easy, right? Because, you know, talking to some folks who were at, at, at Saturday scrimmage as well, you know, the question I asked was, again, you're replacing a three-year starter in, in, in Levi Lewis, and I think you look at it and those are some big shoes to fill, but you feel that they're in a really, really good spot no matter who it is. Now, I'm going to opt for the guy that can get get involved in that RPO game because it, because opening up the run game will help open up some of those windows and those throws, and it's not like one guy's arm talent is vastly, uh, you know, stronger or better than the other guys, right? There's not this monumental difference um, in 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 that. So with that said, I mean, I really do think it's going to come down to who commands control of the offense the best, one. But then, and you heard the coaches talk about this. And football is a different game in this aspect where there's one guy that those 11 guys on the field, or I guess 10 guys, right, are going to gravitate to just a little bit more than the other, right? doesn't mean the other guy's doing anything wrong. And, and you're going to kind of, if, if you watch practice, right, you'll see that. There's going to be one of those quarterbacks that's going to be the leader. And, and, and so to me, when you've got a race that's probably this close, with talent that we think is, is about as equal as it can get. Some, you know, they, one guy does this better, one guy does, does you know, that better. I think, honestly, that's probably what the decision is going to come down to is that leadership, those intangibles, right, that we can't really measure. We can all see, but we can't measure. Something's just different uh, as long as both of them have command of the playbook and aren't out there, uh, which it sounds like from Saturday, making just silly mistakes. All right. Again, we're speaking with we're speaking with Cody Juno, and so on the offensive line, Coach Des. You know, I think a lot of people assume that James Ahonbug would transfer from Michigan State would be plugged right into the starting lineup, but that hasn't been the case just yet. Anyway, I'm not saying it can happen as the season goes on, but it's not the case right now. And they've got some young linemen. <clears throat> Morrow from Pineville, Murphy, Boulay, who was a walk-on, who like might be just as close to getting playing time as a lot of the veterans. So, I mean, I think that it's a little scary for now, but that really bodes well for the future that there's so many young offensive linemen that are in the mix here. Yeah, well, I think the future is relative, right? Because I, I mean, I think that they've got to find a way to get the best five. Uh, today and and you look at kind of some of the struggles that the Cajuns had early on in the season a year ago, and what was it? That offensive line hadn't quite gelled yet. Well, after that South Alabama game where they were challenged, right? If you remember, South Alabama said, well, "We're not worried about them. They can't run the football." And what did the Cajuns do? All right now, they ended up the game ended up being very close. But if you look at the the rushing yards in that contest, right? The Cajuns came out with an emphasis to run the football. And those five guys up front took that personally and went out and for the first time really all year kind of played as one, right? They, they, five is one is a, is a slogan that you'll see written up all across the, uh, the athletic complex there. And, and, and it's for a reason, right? Uh, and, and so for me, it's who are those five guys that are going to 
that are going to gel and play the best together? And then who are the three guys behind that that you can come in that are going to add valuable depth? Right. Remember, one of the things the Cajuns have done uh, really in Billy Napier's entire four years where they played six or seven guys along that offensive front uh, at all times, right? They would rotate those folks in and out. And so, you know, the reality is you lost a first-team preseason All-American, um, you know, who's now playing at the University of Florida. Okay, that's fine. But now we've got to put that aside and figure out who can come in and try to fill those shoes. And, and I do think that they've got a number of options there, Um because of the way that they've recruited in the past, we may just not know some of these names yet. You know, though, going back to that South Alabama game you talked about, and and this kind of leads to the RPO comment you made earlier, that South Alabama game was one of the few games where Levi Lewis was an aggressive runner as a quarterback. It's like they fought that for years and years and years, and there were even last year didn't always run, but there were a few games, app game and that South Alabama game in particular where he ran aggressively, not tentatively, and I think that played into it as well. Ran with a purpose, right? Yes. Again, I look at that game. <laughs> it was the first time I think that they were challenged with bulletin board material. Right, and 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 there was a, a huge target on their backs, and South Al was, you know, at that point in time, I think three and zero, and and riding high, and 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 it was a statement game, uh, or supposed to be a statement game for the Jags, right? And so, um, but no, I I just think in today's age in college football, right, the ability, uh, as much as the game has changed, the team that can run the football and stop the run is going to have a much better chance of winning the game, right, at the end of the day. And so whether that, that run is outside RPO game and even throwing it into the flat type deal or traditionally running it between the tackles, they seem to work in tandem. But the ability to run the football, which is why I, I tend to lead towards that style of quarterback, uh, especially in today's college game, the ability to run the football, it just opens up so much more of the offense. And, and it makes it really difficult on defenses to try to figure out what part of that game they're going to try to take away. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll shift over to the defensive side of the ball, which, you know, on paper, very much like we're talking about, the Saints uh, is expected to carry the team early while they have some offensive line issues and maybe some quarterback issues to work out. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll come back, talk more Cajun football as we look forward to the start of the season against Southeastern. What about three weeks from now with Cody Juno? We'll do that next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote wants to remind you, Delta Media is your home for thrilling high school football action. Here's the lineup. St. Thomas Moore will be right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette. Acadiana High Wrecking Rams, for the first time, will be on MeTV FM 97.7. The Karen Crow Golden Bears will be on Z105.9 Southside Sharks on Mustang 107.1. They're for me and Parish Game of the Week on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. The St. Landry Parish 
uh, game of the week on News Talk 98.5. In the Barb Buccaneers will be on the game, 104-1 Lake Charles. The best of high school football. Remember, you can uh, download the station on f- for, for your favorite teams on the free mobile apps and uh, f- enjoy high school football at home or on the road. Delta Media is your home for Friday night football. All right, we're speaking with Cody Juno, kind of, Getting the ball rolling as we preview or look forward to the start of the Cajuns defending the Sunbelt Conference Championship. All right, we talked a lot of offense. On the defensive side, the biggest piece of news so far in camp is that Trey Amos, starting cornerback, has a hamstring strain. Obviously, they are they are hopeful that he will be ready for the opener, but how worried are you about the depth at cornerback? Is, is it okay if I'm not? Oh, it's fine. That, you know, it, 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 it's fine. And I think the thing that's a little bit tricky is, you know, Coach Dez did a good job of describing that yesterday. Like Keon Martin and Amir McDaniel, who on paper are next in line at the cornerback, really are backups for Eric. Now, they could play on the other side, but they're really Eric's backups. So, the backup. Now, I'll say this: that that is something I took away too, right? For, for yesterday, it really seems like the, the system is that the corners are not going to travel, right? You've got a field corner and you've got a boundary corner, and so that I guess question is: Do you have enough people to, to to play each of each of those positions? But I just I go back to the depth that this team and that this program really has built up over the last four years, and you know, you look out at it, you would have never expected a guy like Cam Podesco, you know, to turn into the player that he is, or Braylon Strong, right? And and so I'm just, I'm confident that there are guys who, they, they were brought in for a reason, right? I will forever say one of the things that makes Billy Napier, uh, the reason that they had all the success is the, is the way in which they were able to identify talent uh, at seemingly a rate that didn't match you know, a, a lot of other people, uh, not just in the Sunbelt Conference, but but really uh, across the country. And and it, and it even continued this year, right? So if you look at it, Arkansas State's going to say, well, we have the number one recruiting class in the conference. You did. However, because they signed, uh, you know, the Cajun scholarship numbers, Cajuns only signed 12 or 13. You, you take away the volume, right, and you look at a player-per-player basis, the Cajuns recruiting class ranks as the number one player-by-player class when, when you break down the rankings of each of those of, uh, you know, student-athletes, if, if that makes sense, right? Right. And, and so they're continuing to bring in talent. The question is, is that talent going to be you know, ready, ready to come along? But I think the secondary, there's more talent and, and depth there than, than we kind of realized because <laughs> you had guys uh, you know, Eric Garr is still there right now, and I think that's a huge, huge thing. But A.J. Washington, have we kind of just for, seemingly forgotten about? You know, he's played a lot of football for the Cajuns. Okay, there, there, uh, there are two guys that I think some Cajun fans are thinking are going to be part of this team that are not. One of them is A.J. Washington, and the other one was Kendall, Kendall Wilkerson on the defensive front because of academic issues. So that, okay. that, that's just there something to keep yeah. in mind there. Well, and, 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 and that's a good point. And, and so, um, you know, again, I guess that adds a little bit more to the depth. I, I do like I do like Caleb Anderson. 
I haven't seen a lot of him, but I like what everyone has said about him. You like his height. I think Keon Martin is good. And Coach Dez did say that he they could switch. It just, you know, it's not like what they plan to do or hope to do, but 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 they could switch. The other thing I like that he said yesterday is that Keon Martin is a lot more physical, even though he doesn't have great stature, kind of like you know, he's a little bigger than Eric Guerra, but he's not much bigger. That 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 that's good to have a feisty, you know, like a Fred Thomas kind of cornerback. No, always always good to have somebody that'll come in, and, and Eric will even get in there, right, and mix mix things up out, out right. there on the uh, on the edge. All right, the other thing that I love about this defense is a lot of depth on the defensive line, and there's a lot of depth at safety, and. To me, that, that that's just crucial. You know, to, to be that good and that experienced and that physical at safety is it, just huge for a defense. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and I guess to be fair, right, that's where, you know, I guess we were talking more about corners. But but I because of that safety play, right, I mean, the secondary to me is, is, in, a, is in a better spot than, than I think maybe we, we, are, we are crediting it for. Um, now again, there are questions actually outside, but but I think to your point, right? The depth that there is at that safety position, and those guys can play in the box, they can play back in coverage as well. Uh, very very versatile, and it's not just one or two folks, right? There's three or four guys that will get rotated through and and, and play out there. All right. So, what's your biggest question then? I mean, I again, obviously, the big question is who's going to be the starting quarterback. But if you believe what everyone's saying then it's not it's almost a preference thing it's not like one can get it done and one can't so what what is the biggest question mark in your mind coming into this season so i know you just kind of talked about the defensive line depth there i i i again you can never have too much of that right and, and so i think just seeing you know who's going to who's the guy that comes in and replaces Taylor Humphrey is that possible right i think when you look at an individual position because of what Taylor was able to do, just setting the tone in the middle, really allowing everybody else and, and you know, Lorenzo McCaskill to just run around and just knock people's heads off, right? I mean, that's what a good interior defensive lineman does. So that, that's one question for me there. And then on the other side of the ball, I'm going to go right back to the trenches, Kevin. It's the depth along the offensive line. How long does it take them to come together and play as one? And then who are the three or four guys uh, that, that will fill in? And then for me, on the special teams end of it, agents are going to be breaking in a new snapper, right? And, and so I think that that's something that gets overlooked. And you heard Des kind of say, you know, talking about this yesterday. It's something you don't think about until it's too late, right? And so I do think they've got, got to get that squared away uh, because as we've seen, you know, you go back to – uh, December of, of 20, right? That game at App State, uh, it was very, it was nearly a very, very different ball game because of the inability to snap the football that particular night. I agree, but and we didn't, and I'm glad you got to special teams, even though we only got about a minute left. Is I think if Kenny Amadeus can be healthy and can be a consistent field goal kicker, yep. think about that's something the Cajuns haven't had with all this winning. They've been winning without the ability to consistently kick field goals. No, you're absolutely right, right? I mean, over the last three years, you, you were constantly holding your breath anytime somebody went out there. Uh, and before he got hurt, right, Kenny had really started to, to come on um, into his zone. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that he can pick up right right where he left off before he got hurt. And, um, and yeah, make, you know, make the kicking an afterthought, right? And you always feel much better 
when kick when you're not holding your breath every time uh, that field goal unit or extra point unit runs out. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, again, like I said, there's so many similarities between the Cajuns and the Saints, and that's going to be one of them. Hopefully, the kicking is no longer going to be the question mark after what we went through a year ago. Well, it's great to catch up with you again. Please try to uh, get me another Astro win or two in Chicago. I don't want to get swept. I'll, uh, I will do my best. It's JV day, so it should be a good day. I hope you are right. Right, correct. Thank you very much, Cody Juno. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Take care. Cody Juno does a a great job of calming me down most of the time, and uh, I need a lot of help with that for sure, uh, especially, you know, once we get a little closer to the fall. But, uh, no, I, I think he was uh, kind of right on on what we were saying, and um, I, I hope – as he was saying that whichever quarterback they go to, it works out. We'll see how that plays out. All right, we'll come back, finish out today's show. Next on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And got a chance on the way in to hear a little bit of Raymond's conversation with William Weathers talking about the LSU quarterback situation. And then just talking with Cody about the Cajun quarterback situation going into the season. They're both now two horse races. Um with the Brennan use and I just wonder if um, they, they kind of ended their conversation kind of speculating that both will play fairly significant snaps. Coach Dez has been pretty adamant that he does not believe in two quarterback systems at all. Now, again, a structured two quarterback system, a predetermined two quarterback system is not exactly what, what he's talking against. So, and the point I'm getting to is you, you, you just wonder are we going to see all four of these quarterbacks get at least a fair amount of snaps over these two teams for these two teams or is are they going to name a starter and that guy other than mop up duty is going to be the quarterback I, you just kind of sense that there's there's not a lot distinguishing them all although i think i i just wonder how good of a passer daniels really is i, I just i I just something just key, and I think that's why William is guessing was saying that he he thinks maybe Nussmar will get the nod because I just I don't know I haven't heard anything that makes me think that Daniels can be a plus passer with the wide receiving core that L, that LSU has so I don't know so I, I you just kind of hear after hearing all this talk you just kind of have the feeling at least I do that all four are going to get some fairly significant playing time but injuries is tends to be something that can you know play into that as well but it's either way it goes it's going to be interesting to see how it, it pans out both in Baton Rouge and in Lafayette for sure all right that'll do it appreciate 
Cody and Michael coming on in the phone calls. Y'all have a nice day.